Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of The Memory Machine, a historical, anecdotal, pop-cultural podcast. I'm your host, Nate Lockhart. And what I have for you this week, uh, you know, usually we pick a topic, a certain pop-cultural topic, and we discuss the history of that thing, along with some of our personal anecdotes, uh, to kind of flesh things out and just have a fun conversation. But uh, I went to a couple of conventions over the last year, and I got some interviews out of it, and I have yet to put them together into a space so that they could be listened to. So I've been sitting on these for a while. I just got around to uh, editing them and, and, and putting them together. So what we have here are uh, two sets of interviews. Four are from the Retro Game Con in Syracuse, New York, where I uh, interviewed some of the uh, indie game developers there. And the other one that I went to was at the, well, I, I went to the Rock Game Fest in, at uh, the Rochester Institute of Technology in uh, Henrietta, New York. But I didn't actually bring my recording equipment, so uh, silly me. But I managed to get pick up interviews uh, after the fact, so we got a couple of those too. Uh, the Retro Game Con is pretty cool. It's a uh, retro video game convention in Syracuse. Uh, they have it at the On Center, uh, which is a convention center. It's also where uh, the Syracuse minor league hockey team plays. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a good time. Um, there's, uh, it's it's not as big as a Midwest Gaming Classic, but there's still plenty to do there, and uh, you know, shopping and uh, the marketplace, and there's a uh, a good uh, video game trial area or a um, like a sort of an interactive museum. And while I was there, they had a uh, they had an Apple IIe set up with a working printer, a working dot matrix printer, and uh, someone was doing art and printing it out on this ancient printer, and it was pretty cool. Uh, I took video of it and put it on my Instagram because uh, it was just it was it was too cool to not document. Um, but anyway, so those there are some of the interviews I got there, and uh, the Rock Game Fest is a in, is sort of an indie game uh, showcase that happens at RIT um, during the summer. And there's a lot of cool stuff happening there. I really encourage you guys um, to go check out your local game spaces. Uh, we have one in Buffalo here, and there's also one in Rochester. And and those spaces regularly do showcase nights and, and uh, parties or festivals whatever festivals or whatever to uh, to showcase the work that their members are doing I really encourage you to go check that out there's always so much cool creativity going on and and uh, you know people just people just making things that they're passionate about um, so I got a couple interviews from that too um, first up what we have here is from the retro game con in Syracuse New York this is my interview with Joe Cronato Joe, Joe Granato, not Cronato, what am I saying? Granato, Joe Granato. And this interview was great. He uh, he just released software that allows you, yes you, to make your very own Nintendo Entertainment System games. It's fascinating. Uh, I've had the software for a while. I haven't been able to boot it up yet. I haven't really had the time. But he also has, includes with it, if you pick it up, a documentary called The New 8-Bit Heroes about how... Uh, uh, eight people are sort of making games within the mold of, of the old 8-bit games and things like that. It's a very, very cool documentary. Uh, so here is that right now. 
everybody. I'm here in Syracuse at the On Center for the Retro Game Con number six. That's what's on the thing. Uh, I'm here with the man who uh, is behind the NES Maker, which is a uh, recent recent project that came out that, as the name implies, allows you to make NES games. Uh, please tell us uh, your name and uh, what your uh, what your role is here with the NES Maker. Yeah, uh, my name is Joe Granado. I'm uh, actually uh, a local Central New York native. I haven't lived here in about 20 years, but mm. it's always fun to sort of come back and show what we're doing uh, at Retro Game Con. Uh, so about... Uh, Five years ago or so, I found old illustrations in my parents' basement yes. uh, that I'd done as a kid of a NES game I wanted to create. I actually sent them to Nintendo of America too, saying, "Hey, please make our game," and they <laughs> sent them back. And you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, thirty years later, I actually stumbled on them and I said, "Hey, I'm a programmer now. I could make this game. I yeah. should make it for the real system." And that ended up launching a documentary called "The New Eight Heroes." One of the unexpected uh, outgrowths of the New Eight Heroes project was a tool that helped us create our game that we were making for the documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when we started showing people the tool, everyone got really excited and, you know, they, they would, where can we get the tool? And so we spent about 18 months uh, in R&Ding the, uh, the tool um, and making it more robust and, and more complete uh, with the goal of let's make a single sort of one-stop shop where you have everything you need to create a brand new cartridge playable, uh, you know, a cartridge-based hardware playable NES game without necessarily having to do any of the code. Yeah. You can dig into the code. If you're somebody who likes and wants to learn assembly or wants to really customize it, you can dig deep. But the, the, the what we want to do is create a WYSIWYG, like a game maker or RPG maker or Unity, mm-hmm. but the output is actually a NES cartridge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, give us a, a bit of the... Um the timeline of this. So you guys started as a Kickstarter, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, it was very successful, yeah. as I understand. Surprised me. Yeah. And you guys are on version 4 now? Is that what uh, you're saying? It's a little bit of a misnomer. It okay. started yeah. with 4.0. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So <laughs> we, we included the numbers in our development build. You know, mm-hmm. like our mm-hmm. beta was 3.1. You know, yeah. uh, the first actual public release was 4.0. Yeah. Um, we are getting very close to releasing uh, 4.1. 4.1 is going to be a, it has been basically two months of user feedback and and you know we've taken a lot of the feedback and uh, and and sort of constructive ideas that people have had on how we can make it better and adopted a lot of it mm-hmm. some of it we can't some of it would take more time but we've yeah. we've adopted a lot of user feedback in 4.1 and we really think it's finally at a point where it's going to be sort of stable for you know mass release and, and it's it's available right now anybody can get it right now but we're, right. super, we're super excited with what 4.1 is going to be. Yeah. And I was talking to you earlier uh, before I had made the full rounds of the convention, and you had said that uh, there's beginning to build a nice, robust community surrounding this software with yeah. a lot of uh, very creative things happening. Can yeah, you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And, you know, uh, that's not. I definitely want to make sure to mention, like, the Nest Dev community, mm-hmm. um, the people who are doing homebrew that aren't part of Nest Maker at all, yeah. the same people that I learned from, that, you know, that I continue to learn from, that are amazing and doing amazing things. It's a very supportive community. It really is. Yeah. And so uh, when I talk about the, the Nest Maker community, we yeah. all sort of owe what we're doing to that community, which the best way to make an S game is to learn assembly and to spend years yes. making an engine. <laughs> The, yes, uh, well. <laughs> but most people probably are going to opt not to do it at that point, yeah. which is what, who this is great for. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so uh, the, the community has, has really come on board. I think there's about 3,000 people with Nestmaker right now, and mm-hmm. 
already in just like the first month or so that the product's been out, we've been seeing amazing stuff mm. from people who've never made a game before, never done any programming before, and all of a sudden they're making something that looks and plays like Ninja Gaiden. I was showing you the, the one yeah, game right, a little yes. earlier. Yeah. Still blown away by that. Like, yeah. I can't but, even... But by a guy who doesn't have any programming experience. Right, 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 right. He just jumped in and yep. worked hard, and this is what he came up with. And a lot of people, some people have programming experience, but no assembly experience. You know, never right. touch assembly. And then they're like, mm -hmm. oh, now that I see it in your code, I get how it works. And and, I'm right. to, and and so the hope is that everybody who's into it transitions and doesn't even need Nestmaker for the next engine. That would be great. That's really cool. I yeah. support that, too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the community is great. It's growing. Um, in the spring, we're going to have our first Nestmaker competition. We have some really cool oh. guests. We have some really cool guest judges and that some really cool fun. prizes for that too. That so, will be really fun. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're treating it a lot like the old school Nintendo magazine, Nintendo Power magazine. Yes. yes. How do you rate these games <laughs> using the same metrics they used to? So, right. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were saying too that uh, you said uh, this is starting to be used in some schools or yep. some community uh, learning. There's scenarios. about there's about ten uh, schools that are right now building curriculum. Uh, mm -hmm. around Nestmaker for the spring classes, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, uh, I'm a former educator myself. Yeah. Uh, I taught game development in school for about six years, and now I work at Ringling College of Art and Design, which is known for its game design yeah. program. Um, so it's really cool to see people um, exposing the next generation of game developers to these old games yes. and what the constraints were and, and why it's important to be conservative and why these are fun, you yeah. know, despite the limitations. Right, yeah. And speaking of limitations, you were saying that uh, this doesn't really... You can't just go out and create, like, a Konami VRC2 Castlevania 3, like, right off the bat here. Uh, there are some limitations, but, uh, I mean, much imagination could come through a limitation, of course. It's one of my favorite things to study in art and, uh, in and, fact, and in the invention. In the documentary that, yeah. in question that we created, yeah. the documentary is... Uh, I don't, but come back around. Yeah, come back around. We'll talk for sure. Um, uh, the opening line is an Orson Welles quote. You know, the enemy of art is the absence of limitation. You yes, know, like yeah, that's, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, and that's, I believe in that. That's very I mean, deeply. literally yeah. the tagline of the film is yes. a story about the art of limitations. Yes. Because yeah. when you have limitations, when you're doing a, a game jam and you have 48 yeah. hours to make something, yeah. you create more than you do when you're given two months. Right. You know, mm -hmm. because you, you're given those constraints and you have to creatively work around them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, for sure. It, it's, it's what sort of fascinates me about like electromechanical pinball machines. You yeah. look inside there and you're like, I can't believe they got score to calculate with that, with, right. a, with, a, with a wheel and gears. Yeah, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, tell us a little bit about some of the limitations, but also some of the surprising things you can do with it. Sure. Given that. Um, so we use a, a, a post-market mapper uh, called uh, it's Mapper 30. Now, what a mapper is, is the NES hardware can only see 32 kilobytes of data at a time. That's a okay. hardware limitation of the system. Right. Developers got around that by swapping out you know, four kilobits at a yeah. time, 16 kilobytes at a yeah. time. Bank switching. Yeah. Bank switching. Yeah. Um, and that's what they would use mappers for. And there were almost as many mappers as there were games for the system. Yes. There were like yeah. 150 different types of mappers, you know. Um, and Mapper 30 is one that did not exist during the days of the NES. It came mm. out after the fact. Mm. However, it is based on Mapper 2, which was one of the most common types of mappers. Yeah. And the things that it does different is it, ha it allows for uh, flash memory 
so you don't have to have like a battery to save your progress and we can make these flashable cartridges mm -hmm. um, and it also allows for uh, character RAM bank switching which allows for like animated tiles so um, those kinds of things uh, are great and we can get uh, on our cartridges standard our 512 kilobytes so you can get a lot wow, of data oh yeah the, one of the reasons that we need that much data is because our engines are supposed to be very diversifiable yeah so we have to pack a lot of different code in there depending on what the user might want to do you yeah. know with NES with all these old systems Engines are usually very specifically tailored exactly to what the developer wants to do. Yes. Whereas we have to do the exact opposite. We have to make it as broad as possible. Yeah. Um, so so our code is anything but efficient. It's horribly yeah. inefficient, <laughs> but that's the only way to do what we're doing. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's one of the big limitations is the inefficiency of the code, but it allows for you to do a lot of different genres from the same module. Right. Um, right. And then, you know... Uh, all the standard NES limitations are there. You can't make any game that you want. You can only make a game that the NES can do. And, not only that, a lot of people have these rose-colored glasses when it comes to, you know, what the NES was capable of because they're used to seeing iPhone retro games. Yes. Those yes. games could never run no. on the system because of, like... Too many colors on screen, uh, uh, too many sprites on screen. And just the, just the yeah. logic of the game, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, there was one left. Oh. Uh... I'll wait for this uh, announcer to finish his spiel. Oh, uh, I'd like to ask a wrap up with one more question. What do you see with uh, as being the future of NES Maker? What hopes do you have to, to implement or to, to bring about? Sure. Uh, a couple of things. I hope that over the next year we see uh, with version 4.1, uh, mm -hmm. There's actually a plugin creator. You can create plugins to make NestMaker function how you as the developer want to in all kinds of different ways. Mm. We haven't even released it yet, and one guy begged for the source code, and he's already created a plugin that does a really cool thing. Like <laughs> cool. it's already happening. So like great. we want to see the community make things that we never even anticipated and don't even know how they did, and yeah. we can sit back and go, "What is this witchcraft they did with our tool?" Yeah, yeah. That would be great. And I hope other people make NestMakers that compete with ours, and they're even cooler. My goal is to see the community have more NES games and for a new generation to appreciate these yeah. games. I, I do hope it blows a wide open track because I've seen, I grew up with, um, I grew up, well, it's, but uh, seeing how the Atari homebrew community mm -hmm. like really just blew up yeah. and became so fruitful and then looking at the NES side of things and seeing how meager it was for so long and it feels like we're only just now like really getting to like a glory era of NES creation. For sure, and, absolutely. And creativity. It's great to see uh, you being part of this and with the NES Maker and all that. So tell us again uh, your, your product, uh, your movie, all that, your, your yep. plugs. You can go to www.thenew8bitheroes.com. That's the name of the film, and it's also sort of our uh, the, where you can find all the information about NES Maker, mm -hmm. about the film, and about our flagship, ga flagship game called Mystic Searches, which is the one that I imagined when I was eight years old. That, yes. Um, we actually... We knew... When we started to develop Nestmaker, it was going to take us longer to finish because we're going to run it all through Nestmaker. So we ended up making a, a, a prequel quest called Mystic Origins to satiate uh -huh. people while we work on the full game. Yeah. But yeah. you can find out more information about that there as well. So the game, the film, and the tools, uh, you can find them all at www.thenew8bitheroes.com. Thenew8bitheroes.com. Okay. Well, great. Well, thank you very much for speaking with me, and I hope you have a great rest of your con. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, uh, next up we have here Antoine Baker of NinjaGate Studios. 
was his company, and his, and talking about his new game, uh, I believe it's the last one through Steam Greenlight, Pretty Kitty Fuzzy. Hey everybody, uh, getting through uh, probably about the middle of the day here in Syracuse at Retro Game Con 6, and uh, I'm s still milling about through the uh, the indie game tables and all that here that they have here, and I'm here with Antoine. Uh, tell me uh, a little bit uh, about what you do here, about what your game is, and uh, yeah, all that fun stuff. Well, uh, first off, my, uh, my studio is NinjaGate Studio, so we're... Okay. Uh, we're developing our first game right now. It's taken me a couple years to actually do it. You know, sometimes life just gets in the way, and then yeah. you, you kind of roll with the punches, but I've still been passionate enough to continue with my project. Mm -hmm. um, the first game that we are making right now is called Pretty Kitty Fuzzy. Um, it's about a cat who just gets normal, like, magical girl powers, and she goes around the universe saving the... Just trying to save everyone with the power of love and positivity. A very solid premise. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's basically a, a parody of Sailor Moon. Yeah. Um. So everybody will see like if, when you see the game, you'll actually see likenesses of it and such. Yeah. So it's mostly I wanted to make like a really good family-friendly game. Yeah. For, that anybody could jump in and play and have fun with. Yeah. Um. Because I think um, nowadays I think video games are no longer video games. They're just like micro jobs now <laughs> so nobody can't just like pick up a game and sit down and play it yeah. now video games have to be a chore so yeah. i wanted to take it back to its roots to just make like a side scrolling shoot 'em up like if you've played like uh 1942 1943 yeah. uh, r types gradius all that other fun stuff yeah um I, so I, that's what i wanted to get back to so yeah i noticed a lot of artistic uh, inspiration from things like uh, parodius or uh, some of the cute em ups that you'd see in, in like a uh, playstation early Super Nintendo days, things like that. Can you tell me about anything specific that that really uh, drew you in, that, that made you want to make a game like this one? Well, uh, I always liked the shooters, even though I was kind of terrible at them when I was younger. <laughs> I feel uh, the same way. Yeah, so, uh, but I still liked the concept, and they were just fun games, especially like, yeah. you know, I didn't really, at, at one point, I didn't really care about beating the game or beating the level. I just wanted to, like, shoot things and just move around it. Just, yeah. had, just have some brainless fun, and that's yeah. what Pretty Kitty Fuzzy was. Um, yeah. I really liked most of the cute em ups. Um, I was, believe it or not, I was actually inspired to make this game by playing an actual zombie game, Dead Rising Three. Oh. Believe it or not, that's uh. that was really the inspiration of it because there was um, there was one song, there was one song that uh, played and it was like very cutesy and chip tuney. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I, I want to make, I want to actually make a, I want to make a game, you know, with that sort of feel. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, I ended up uh, um, creating Pretty Kitty Fuzzy. It's a game based yeah. off my actual cat Fuzzy. Um, so, <laughs> Cute. So, so basically, it's like an homage to her. So you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's what kind of really inspired me. Like I used to play games like uh, per, uh, Parodius, uh, Parodius Da. Yeah. Um, I played uh, like silly fighting games like Waku Waku Seven, like yeah. little stuff like that appeals to me yeah, artistically yeah, yeah. because you could tell like they were trying to have fun with the genre, yeah. rather than make something super serious. Because we have a lot of serious stuff anyway. Yeah. Um. So I just wanted to create something that was some like that people could walk by and 
just pick up and play or something that you'd, you'd see at Build-A-Bear or something. Yeah, so, right, you know, yeah, yeah. You know? So th- that, and that was mostly the inspiration of it all, just to create something fun yeah. and like have like have a little following behind yeah. it, too. Now, you said uh, you're getting ready to, to get this out for the PC. Um, I assume that's under would be under Steam, the show? Yes, it, yep, okay. it'll, be, it'll be right under Steam. We were the last game to get Steam greenlit, so... Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. So, right. yeah, so before they did away with that, we were the last game to get greenlit, and it was like, it was really exciting, because I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I hit the big time. Yeah. <laughs> now I got to make a game. Yeah, so, right, right, yeah, right. So, right, and uh, you said uh, earlier, when I was talking with you before I turned on the recorder, you were saying uh, you wanted to put this out on other platforms that... Uh, Switch in particular. Yes, the Nintendo Switch in particular because yeah. I think uh, it gives us it, it gives us a, a, a different audience and it gives us a different experience than your traditional just you sit down and like uh, just sit down and just mash and play. Yeah. Um, I think the Amiibo support was really good and it also I think it would help Fuzzy branch out into other like different properties. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I always wanted to see Fuzzy in a fighting game so. Um, I've been like looking at other like developers and seeing if like I could put her in like something like Brawl Out or Rivals of Ether or something mm. because that would be something that you could kind of see Fuzzy in and then be yeah. like oh that makes perfect sense. Um, on top of that, the Amiibo support because of the collectability of it, um, mm-hmm. I think the Amiibo support will also enhance the game yeah. more than the Xbox or the or the PS4 could yeah, actually do that, that was something that, um, that that surprised me when you mentioned that. I didn't know that um, the Amiibo stuff was so open to developers that you could mess around with that kind of a thing. That's really exciting. Right, and yeah. uh, a, a lot of people a lot of people don't realize that, but there's been there's like a lot of like Amiibo hack like little uh, docking stations and stuff like that that are out there. Yeah. So um, like Shovel Knight, they're the, I think they're the first and only indie right now that has their own Amiibo. So we're trying to push to get our little amiibo out there as well, too. With uh, with that, though, I thought of a different uh, game mechanic for the amiibo, um, which is uh, Super Fuzzy in Nintendo Land, which uh, Fuzzy finds a Nintendo, and she gets sucked into the universe of (laughs) Nintendo. So she ends up meeting five um, major iconic Nintendo villains, and then she's like, why are they so mean to their protagonist? Um, and so she goes on the mission that she wants to hug each of the uh, antagonists in hopes of mi- they'd be nicer to the protagonists of yeah. their games. So it's, it's just really the, like, puts around with an idea yeah. like that. Yeah, that's, so, that sounds like a lot of fun. That's, yeah. that's a great uh, twisting of the, uh, right. of the expectations. So. Right. That sounds great. Well, tell us once again uh, your name and where we can find you. Well, my name is Antoine, so uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook with NinjaGate Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, all of, uh, not all three separate words, NinjaGate Studios. You can find Pretty Kitty Fuzzy on um, Facebook as well. We also have a Patreon, um, which is, uh, and because of the Patreon, we were able to uh, change the artwork and change the engine completely. We only have, right now, we, we only have a modest amount. We only have 10 patrons, but they've been really supportive and they've been really helping us out with yeah. that. Giving us fe- yep. They've been giving us feedback. They've been sending us emails and such. They've been telling us what they like and didn't like about the yeah. older builds. So we were able to change the game completely because of that. And the more, the more people that we get on Patreon, the better that we hope the game will be. Yeah. Um, so if you go to patreon.com slash ninjagate, You'll be able to find our project right there. It'll say NinjaGate Studios is creating video games, starting with Pretty Kitty Fuzzy. So that's great. Yep. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, and uh, I'll welcome. let you know when this goes live. Yep. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. All 
right. Thanks to uh, Antoine Baker for that. Yeah, I, I would encourage you to, ch- to check out uh, Pretty Kitty Fuzzy. It's um, it's ridiculously cute and adorable, especially if you like the shoot 'em up genre, and you like cute 'em ups. You know, like your Parodiuses or whatever. Uh, it's it's pretty rad. Uh, next up, we have Russ Cumro from Collector Vision. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm back here again at the Retro Game Con in Syracuse, New York, and I'm here with a representative from Collector Vision Games, uh, Russell Cumro. Please introduce yourself. Tell us uh, what brings you here today. Yeah, so uh, showing off a new game that we're developing for modern consoles called Sydney Hunter and the Curse of the Mayans. It's coming up for the Nintendo Switch, the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and of course PC, you know, for Steam. And, uh, you know, just demoing the game, getting a feel for see people are liking the game or not, see if there's any last-minute changes that we need to consider making, you know, based on if anyone finds any issues. And uh, just having a lot of fun watching people really interact, and it yeah. looks like people are having a ball. Yeah. Now, is this a port from an earlier ColecoVision game? I know the Sydney Hunter games are sort of a series at this point. And, and which iteration are we on now? Which one is this? this is... Yeah, it's a good point. This is, you know, I think like the fourth or maybe even fifth Sydney Hunter game now. Yeah. Uh, it's the first one coming up for modern consoles. Yeah. Uh, but you're right, he's kind of become our, our little mascot, and we have yeah. a great series around him, you know, spanning. There's Sydney Hunter games for the Commodore 64, the ColecoVision, the Intellivision, uh, the Super Nintendo. There's even a NES version in the works. So it's oh, that'd just be cool. impressive. That'd be cool to see. So what's different in this in this version? What's uh, what's new with Sydney Hunter in uh, his new game, The Caverns of Death? Is that no. yeah? This is the uh, Curse of the Mayans. Curse of the Mayans. This Caverns one. of Death was another one. Yeah, this yeah. Curse. Of, yep. Yeah. Uh, Curse, yeah. That was the Super Nintendo. So yeah. yeah. So with this one, the Switch version, the big deal is a lot more weapons, just a much bigger quest. Uh, yeah. We're finding that uh, a lot of people that uh, play the game through, it's an 8 to 10 hour quest, as opposed to a you know, much smaller quest from the earlier ones. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of uh, new gods and a lot of new bosses. And yeah. really the big thing with this one was we wanted to develop uh, play mechanics that mimic the best we could some of the best old Nintendo games. So we took the best ideas, we feel anyways, from Mega Man, Castlevania, Mario, Metroid, yeah. even, um, and just turned it into one new game. Yeah, I, I was playing uh, when I was playing it last time. I remember feeling like this feels like if uh, Montezuma's Revenge and Castlevania Controls were combined, and it feels really good. It's a great platforming mechanic. It's a lot of fun to explore. Yeah, that's a good point. You're yeah. right. Montezuma's Revenge was really uh, early on in development. Uh, the target game that we were looking to mimic things off of, mm-hmm. and it just kind of morphed and grew into this much bigger game. Yeah, because it never had a real sequel, Montezuma's Revenge, so it, it was a perfect candidate to see, like, well, what's the logical follow-up to this? And, uh, yeah, these games are a lot of fun to play. I'm very excited to see it come out on, on Switch. Uh, so is there anything else you're working on with Collector Vision? Are you a part of the Phoenix Project, perchance? That's a good question. Uh, I will say, uh, no, uh, not part of the Phoenix Project. Yeah. However, uh, Definitely, I did get to use the prototype in Phoenix at the yeah. Game On Expo, so I can assure you it is real, okay. yes. <laughs> which is cool. Uh, yeah, well, I mean... And uh, yes. the only way I suppose that you could say that I did have a, you know, a, a, with Phoenix, uh, the way that I uh, met the guys at Collector Vision was making ColecoVision games. Mm-hmm. So I released two games that you actually will be able to play on the Phoenix. Uh, yeah. I released uh, Sidetrack and uh, Ripcord. 
for the Coleco Vision. Very cool, very cool. Sidetrack and Ripcord. Uh, well, those, yeah, those were released for Collector Vision. How long ago was that now? It's been a couple years, a year or two? Yeah, uh, yeah. Ripcord was uh, last uh, Christmas. Yeah. And uh, Sidetrack was 2011. Can you tell us a little bit about those games? Just a little uh, elevator pitch for both games? Yeah, it's kind of cool, actually. Uh, so both of those games were, uh, first off, they were made by this company named Exidy, which Collectivision now yes. owns the name of. Which is crazy. It, it yeah. blows my mind, I'll tell you. <laughs> and uh, as a kid, I always used to look at the catalog, yeah. uh, the, Collectivision, the Collectivision catalog that came with the system, and it would show all the games coming soon. Yeah. And both of those games were in that catalog, and me and my brother would be like, drooling, waiting for a ripcord or sidetrack to come out. They never yeah. came out. And if you told me that 30 years later I would be the one to make them, yeah. it just blows my mind. Yeah. And the fact that they actually got released with the Exidy name on them because the guys I work with have the Exidy name, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just crazy. Yeah. Just but, think of the venture sequels you could write now. Oh yeah. my god, yes. I'll tell you. It's amazing how yeah. literally how many nights I would just spend thinking, wouldn't it be awesome to make a you know, adventure part two, or what could we do as a cross, you yeah. know, conversion thing? I mean, now you can. It's there for you. It's, it's wide open. So, uh, yeah, tell us what the, the games Ripcord and um, uh, Sidetrack. The, the, uh, I know Sidetrack is a car racing game. Is that right? Am I thinking uh, that right or right? Yeah, close. My mind. Uh, it, yeah. it really does look a lot like the old car racing games. You're right. Yeah. What it is is uh, you control a train that's yeah. on a set of tracks, and uh, there's a uh, uh, an enemy or a CPU train. And you have to maneuver around to avoid the enemy train while picking up the passengers to collect all the points. Okay. And, and that's the gist okay, of that fun. one. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, si- uh, Ripcord is, um, what, what, is what, what game yeah. is Ripcord like? Ripcord's right? interesting. It's Because um, these are a bit more obscure catalog uh, arcade titles here. They yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty well. Ripcord is, uh, you, are, uh, you have to uh, control some paratroopers as they jump out of an airplane, and you've got to yeah. get them to land on the various point. Uh, targets uh, oh, okay, at the bottom yeah. of the screen yeah. while avoiding helicopters and other obstacles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, extremely challenging game. It, uh, it sounds frenetic. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. challenging. Yeah. Are those two games still for sale, uh, or uh, have they been sold out since? I know Collector Vision usually sells out pretty quickly uh, yeah. with their Coleco titles. You're right. I, I know a lot of them sell out. Um, last I checked, I, I think that there were. I think Ripcord was available. Uh, Sidetrack uh, comes and goes, where I think okay. they, they do produce cartridges uh, occasionally. Okay. Uh, one thing about Collector Vision is um, if we do get enough people uh, that are interested in the game, yeah. uh, if enough people say, hey, what can you do to make a reprint, they sometimes will listen and are able to do that, depending on mm-hmm. if there's enough of a demand. Mm-hmm. So that could happen. Cool. Great. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me. T- tell us uh, where we can find Sydney Hunter and uh, The Curse of the Mayans, as well as your other Coleco products. Yeah, certainly. So uh, all of this, uh, you can keep uh, track of us first up on Facebook and Twitter, uh, Collector Vision Games. Uh, we have our website as well, CollectorVision.com. And uh, on there, you will see um, all of our games for sale in the store. So any Coleco games uh, interested in, you know, definitely, or, you know, like Ripcord Sidetracks, if they're yeah. available. Uh, same thing with uh, Curse of the Mayans. Yeah, uh, we definitely are keeping the website up to date. You know, when there's like big, you know when there's key updates for the yeah. game. It, it, it's uh, it, it's really something to look forward to. It's it's clearly the, the biggest Sydney Hunter game yet. It's looking like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank Thanks. you for talking to me. Thanks again. Yeah. So yeah, people do make new games for ColecoVision, and he's one of them. 
the Sydney Hunter games are pretty cool. Uh, I really enjoy them. It's sort of like, um, as you play them, it's sort of like a mix between Montezuma's Revenge and the Castlevania games with the way that they move and, and play. They're really a lot of fun. I highly, highly encourage checking them out. Russ Cummer was a really, really sweet guy. Um, next, we have a double interview here. Oh, by the way, before we get into that, you probably notice uh, I've been reintroducing myself and where I am in every clip. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. Anyway, uh, so yes, the, the, the next one is a uh, is a double interview with Rob Mostyn and Anthony Swinich. Rob worked, uh, created a game recently called A Small Robot Story. This is a fun, fun little platforming game. And he's also... Uh, Ahead of the uh, Rock Rock Game Dev in Rochester, New York, Anthony Swinich is a former uh, Buffalo Game Space board member. Member, uh, he also helped uh, make. He's one of the co-creators of Shoot Chimmy, Seriously Swole, which is a really fun shoot 'em up game uh, based around the ten-second uh, memory of a goldfish. And he also he's currently doing uh, he's currently doing music under the name of Hang On, Get Ready, a lot of cool chiptune stuff. That that stuff is cool. Good, check that out. So anyway, here we are with uh, Rob Mostyn and Anthony Swinich. Hey everybody, I'm here for probably the last interview of today that I'm going to be doing at uh, the Retro Game Con in Syracuse, New York, here at the On Center. I'm here with two gentlemen from uh, two uh, respective areas of western upstate New York, however you want to call it. Uh, one from Buffalo and one from Rochester. Gentlemen, please introduce yourselves. Sure. Uh, my name is Rob Mostyn, uh, also BC Likes You, uh, and I am from Rochester, New York. Hey, I'm uh, Anthony Swinich, also known as Hang On Get Ready from Buffalo, New York. And uh, what do you guys uh, what, what, what do you guys bring today? Sure. So um, I'm here today uh, showcasing my game, A Small Robot Story, uh, talking about the uh, game development group I run, Rock Game Dev. Um, and yeah, just hanging out and having a good time. I'll also be playing a show tomorrow here. Yeah. Great. Uh, I believe, Anthony, you're going to be playing that as well, correct? Correct. Yeah, I'm uh, going to be playing tomorrow at 1 o'clock with the Hang On Get Ready label, my chiptunes, and uh, I did a panel today with Rob about uh, game development in Western New York. Mm. Well, upstate New York. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's it's always uh, nebulous whether or not Rochester is Western New York or not, and or yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It doesn't we, really matter. We consider it Western in Buffalo. Yeah. I don't know what Rochester considers themselves. We're Finger Lakes region. Finger, yes, yes, yeah. the Finger Lakes. <laughs> All right. The Finger Lakes. Yeah. Yes. I'm gonna, I'll keep that in mind next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah you guys did uh, give a seminar. You, uh, you, you also are heads of the game spaces that you are from, correct? I know you are correct. Rochester. Yep, yep. So uh, Rock Game Dev, uh, for about three years now, we were a meetup group. We kind of met up at RIT, uh, at downtown coffee shops, bars, and stuff like that. But this week, we just opened our uh, co-working space and got members in a, there. And they're going to be you know, working together. We're going to be having events there and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, how long was that in the works for? Oh, gee. I mean, about a year ago, people were asking. And, I mean, even when I started Rock Game Dev, I kind of knew what, you know, Buffalo Game Space was doing and kind of uh, kind of used that as an outline for what we eventually wanted to do. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, how long have you been with uh, Buffalo Game? And, and are you the head of Buffalo Game Space? I want to make sure I get titles correct. Yeah, here. no, um, I'm a yeah. former board member. Actually, I was the secretary, and I was on the board for three years. And uh, I have since taken a step back so that other people can spread their wings and fly a little bit. But I'm still involved in the organization. So now I asked this question when uh, we were at the. Um the panel that you guys did, but what sorts of projects are you guys excited about? Like, like what would you point people towards with your uh, respective creative spaces? Yeah, so we um, at Rock Game Dev, uh, you know, we got a lot of cool projects going on right now. Um, some cool uh, 2D Metroidvanias, some more 3D uh, style narrative games. Um, but, you know, I think right now a lot of the focus is on the space. Um, the new events we got going in there, and people are just kind of throwing ideas out. Uh, you know, one idea we had come out was uh, an audio recording room that also doubled as a streaming room, um, which is something I'm, like, really stoked about right now. Um, but Rochester in general, um, you know, we just got a lot of cool little things going on, little games being made. Um, yeah. Rob, with, with you, with your game, uh, Small Robot Story, make sure I get the title correct, um, what, where do you feel like you take inspiration on? Because for me, it, when I play it, it feels like this is just... A very like an attempt to make the most solid, straightforward platformer that there has ever been. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, I mean, I spent a good month when I was prototyping, just getting the controls to feel exactly how I wanted, and I was basing it on like what felt right to me. Um, but I knew I had it's a platformer, you know. I can I can fudge other things, I can cut other corners, but like the controls had to be solid, had to be good. Um, but I mean, in general. The theme or the, uh, the the inspiration is you know very Mega Man, um, very uh, narrative heavy. I kind of wanted to do a little bit of a coming age coming of age story about a robot, mm. uh, where as far as like the theme and the narrative and stuff. But yeah, you know your classic eight bit platformer inspirations. Yeah, yeah I, I I really enjoyed it. It's on Steam now, correct? Uh, yes, it is. It's been on Steam since December, so almost a year now. Almost a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Anthony, you released a game very recently uh, through working with uh, Buffalo Game Space Shoot Shimi. Now, I know it's been out for a little while, but can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe what you might be working on. Well, let's talk about Shoot Shimi first. Um, So Shoot Shimi is a side-scrolling shoot-em-up based around the concept of a goldfish's 10-second memory. So everything in the game lasts 10 seconds. Uh, You get power-ups that last only 10 seconds. Every round is 10 seconds. Uh, 10 seconds in the shop to pick the next power-up in these... Um, extremely long, convoluted uh, text bubbles that kind of don't give away, but do give away what the uh, power-up will be. And it's just a crazy, fast-paced, weird, WarioWare-esque party game. Yeah, I got to play it uh, a lot when it was still in development uh, at the Buffalo Comic-Con, before the Nickel City Comic-Con was a thing. Sure, sure. And uh, just had playtesting it there. I still have my little button from it. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, what, what, what sort of future projects are you working on? Uh, we've been slowly working our way through uh, another old-school style Game Boy graphics game called Bruise and Cruisers. It's a top-down car combat game uh, where uh, you're in a restaurant and a guy steals your sandwich and you hop in the <laughs> car and you race off to get the sandwich back from him. And then like from there, do. much mayhem ensues. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, Rob, do you have any future projects? A small robot story is done. Yep. Uh, As of how long ago was it finished? Uh, So December, I published it, and then I did some uh, uh, bug fixing after that. Okay, okay, so it's been on. What uh, what do you have on the horizon? What are some things that you're hoping to get? Yeah, so I'm working on a new project. Uh, I'm kind of working on it almost in reverse order of how I did Robot Story. Okay. I'm writing a lot of the music first and doing a lot of the world building. Uh, I'm also searching to a new engine, so I'm slowly learning that engine. Okay. Um, So yeah, right now, I mean, I have nothing to show for it except music which is you know not yeah. your typical uh, 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 path for a game but 
Um, yeah, slowly getting there, but I'm hoping, you know, within... So writing a game to the soundtrack. Yeah, that's something I've Interesting. always wanted to do. I wanted to do this before... This is an yeah. idea before Robot Story that I was Fascinating. About, so. Yeah, that's a that's an yeah. interesting track to take. We'll see how it works. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Are you performing any of the songs from the... I, I am performing a new song tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, please, yeah. please. Tell us real quick about uh, your music projects. Yes. Yes. So uh, BC Likes You is what I use as my mm-hmm. solo project. Um, I've been doing chiptune for a long time. I'm kind of gearing more towards this synth full band sound now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am playing solo mm-hmm. tomorrow, but I'm working on forming a band with a drummer and a female vocalist. Um to, to, to perform this music that will be in this game. Yeah, this I, game, I so. love that idea. I nice. love it. I'm very excited to hear about that. Yeah. And you also have, uh, yeah. Anthony. Um, so Hang On Get Ready is my chip tune name, and um, I've just been making music on Family Tracker for five-ish years now, and finally got enough songs together to play live. And, um, you know, just going out and seeing people like BC play, and BC, Danimal Cannon, um, Nick Maynard, uh, Little Paw is the name, I believe. Um, all mm-hmm. those guys were just very inspiring over the years, and I wanted to do it, so I did. Great. It, it seems to be working out for you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for talking to me, um, uh, having a conversation. Uh, where can we find your works, and where can we find these communities of which you give to? Sure. So I'm BC Likes You on pretty much all social media, uh, on Itch, where my games are, Bandcamp, where my music is, uh, and then Rock Game Dev. Again, you know, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, dot com, you know that's that's where we have everything going on. That's where you can find our events and everything we're doing. Great, and Anthony. Yeah. Um, so for me personally, I'm pretty much hang on, get ready at uh, all social media stuff. Hang on, get ready at Bandcamp for the music, and um, Neon Deity Games is for the Shuchimi stuff, and BuffaloGameSpace.com is the website for BGS. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for uh, joining me on the podcast. Those guys were really great. I really appreciate them uh, joining me there. They were a lot of fun to talk to. We had, we had a good conversation after after the formal interview. Um, so next are the two uh, interviews that I got at made as connections from uh, from the Rock Game Fest. And uh, the first one here is uh, his name is Kent Reese, and his game that he was showcasing was Duck in the Land of the Flightless Birds. It's a really fun, very straightforward uh, platforming game with some exploration elements and and uh, just very cute and colorful and just uh, all the things that I love. So yeah, let's get into uh, let's get into that. Hey everybody, I'm here with Kent Reese, a fellow I met at uh, the RIT Game Fest that happened very recently here. And I got to play his game. Well, actually, my brother got to play his game. Uh, I believe it's called uh, Duck and the Land of the Flightless Birds. I did have it right. And I yes. stammered it out. <laughs> um, we, we got to play a little bit. And my brother and I were both had a lot of fun with it. It uh, reminded us of of uh, games of yesteryear that we enjoyed very much without seeming old, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So can you tell us a little bit about your game? Give us a little brief right. overview. So Duck is very much a game rooted in platforming history. Mm-hmm. I, I would describe Duck as a game that takes my favorite 
favorite elements of what it means to be a platformer and pushes it into a way that you've never really seen before. Mm. So you have your elements of a, a Metroidvania with your weapons upgrade system and a sort of dynamic environment that's all interconnected. Mm-hmm. But you also have, but like looking at the game from like a single screenshot, you'd assume it's more like uh, a Mario, a linear sort of mm-hmm. platformer. Mm-hmm. So there's this sort of obstacle based platforming. And then there's also a bit of uh, Mega Man like combat where mm-hmm. you have weak spots on enemies and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's taken all these elements and it's putting them into a game that I think does it in a unique and interesting way. Oh, for sure. And and I think people and I think people really like resonate with that when they play it. And that's that's the most that's the most satisfying thing about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were things that my brother and I noticed instantly. Uh, first one being that the way that the duck kind of jumps, he he has sort of a Yoshi-ish hover that that he does, yes. which which was fun and familiar. Another thing I noticed immediately was the choice to have the game in a 4-3 ratio instead of a 16-9. That's very deliberate. Um, yes. Can, can, uh, can you talk about these touches and, and perhaps what inspired you to make some of these choices? So as far as the 4-3 aspect ratio, um, I've always been a fan of games where it feels like the perspective fits the fit fits the action. Mm-hmm. So a sixteen by nine game is much more fitting for something like uh, uh, a more modern FPS game or something more cinematically driven. Mm-hmm. Whereas my game is more like uh, it's trying to it's trying to emulate or at least trying to capture some of that classic feel Mm -hmm. and in order to properly do that you need something like a 4-3 aspect ratio because it just doesn't feel right in 16 by 9 because you get you get a view of like it feels like you're supposed to be watching something but you're but you're actively more like playing it rather Mm -hmm. and and it's just a disconnect when you have sort of 16 by nine versus a uh, four, three. So that's mm-hmm. why I chose a, a four by three aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think it makes the game better. Yeah. I think it keeps the uh, action more focused and uh, immediate right. in a certain way where I think right. if you have a platformer, uh, like that is so stretched out like that, you're always, you're, you're thinking about where you're not instead of where you are. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but but that was my takeaway. Um, right. There's another little interesting touch. I, I don't. I don't know if you had a particular inspiration for this, or if you just kind of thought it looked cool. But the health bar is a little xylophone. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Is that from anything in particular? Or you just thought, hey, this is this is cool. Let's do that. So, I wasn't actually one who decided that. Oh. Um, okay. So back, way back. Uh, when I was first working on this game in high school, a uh, friend of mine who was working on it with me, Max Miller, he's the composer of the game, mm-hmm. 
Well, he kind of stepped up for a bit and did the art too. And when he did the health bar, he turned it into a xylophone because he's a musician <laughs> and he thought it, it, he thought it would be fitting. Yeah. Well, that turned into a motif we have with all the major characters in the mm-hmm. game. They all have an instrument that sort of like represents them. Yeah. And the xylophone is sort of like a, a goofy, like weird instrument. Mm-hmm. And we have yes. sort of a, a goofy, weird protagonist. So we thought it fit well with his, with the main character's personality. As mm-hmm. far as like, I mean, even in the demo, you can see a bit of it, like the way he like his eyes like bulge out whenever he gets hurt, or yes. like um, he's very expressive, very cartoony. Yeah, and almost. we were. Um, we were talking a little bit, and I was surprised to. Uh, you're a student currently at RIT. Yes. Um, yeah. Second year. Yes, and uh, we were talking about the games that uh, you felt influenced by, and I was a little shocked to hear you bring up uh, titles like Jazz Jackrabbit, for instance. Yeah. Um, can you talk yeah, about some uh, of those games, the games that you played in your youth, that perhaps may have informed? your design choices and all right so as far as like dos games that really helped mm-hmm. uh jazz jack rabbit really stands out as like a game that got me thinking about like even making games because mm. i because it was really the first game that i i like knew the story behind it because it's one of uh, if you're not familiar it's one of cliffy b's first games and he did it when he was he made it those games when he was in high school hmm. and it was I like i did not know that yeah they made them in high school wow yeah and he was like super good yeah. at what he did and i i was kind of inspired by that when i first went into it and then another another big dos game that uh it was commander keen mm-hmm. uh, really i enjoyed that as a kid i we had a like windows 2000 computer or something mm-hmm. that had a dos sort of system as well yeah so we um and i don't know where it came from but we had a copy of uh commander keen and yeah. we just booted it up and we played that all the time when i was really young yeah I believe that was a shareware title early on. Um, yeah, I remember when um, when my dad finally uh, buckled to pressure and bought a Windows three point one machine. It came oh with yeah, it came with because uh, before that we only had a DOS machine. Um, yeah. It was a Tandy one thousand and it didn't have a hard drive. Um, so, but it did have two disk drives, which was a big deal. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, my I remember my dad telling me it's like it has 640 kilobytes of RAM. Nobody needs more than this. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, if only he knew. If only he well, he he continues to just be uh, flabbergasted and amazed by computers. He has a a good uh, there's sort of a a youthful amazement of computers about him. That's very fun. Um, but I remember when he finally got a three point one a Windows three point one machine. It came with a few shareware discs, including Commander Keen, 
and uh, Wolfenstein 3D, which oh. which he would not let us play. He said it was yeah, too violent. <laughs> yeah, too <laughs> but, violent. Yeah, too violent. But but yeah, no, those. Um, if you had a PC back in the '90s, I mean, those games were ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, I noticed another little touch. I don't know if you consider this a spoiler, but there's a little secret. Uh, that, oh, yeah, you built go it. ahead. Is, go is ahead. that is that just for the demo, or is that uh, just um, in general? It's going to be in the game, but it's yeah. not going to be where it was in the demo. So got it's it. not like got it. Because there's a little. Because there is a like a lot of tiny little touches here and there to, um, like DOS paint programs, and Windows Solitaire. Basically, what happens. Uh, well, why don't you go ahead and explain it if you right. want to? I don't want to take the words out of your mouth here. All right. So he's referring to a section of the game where it was the secret ending of the demo. And to get to the secret ending, you basically had to find a glitch, like a, a quote unquote glitchy area of the game. It's basically where you see a bunch of pixels like freaking out in a corner of a room. And then if you touch it, you get to the secret ending. But the thing that actually happens, the thing that's interesting about it is that um, in this secret ending, uh, all the sprites like multiply the way that uh, Windows Solitaire does. Mm-hmm. So like uh, it's like a Hall of Mirrors effect. That's what it's traditionally called. And uh, it was actually... It actually started out as a real glitch. Like, uh, <sighs> I. So what happens is that whenever the. Whenever the background is empty, like there's nothing in the background, the, the, the game just keeps trying to, rebuffer things, but there's nothing back there to, there's nothing in the background to clear, where the sprites used to be. Hmm. So, fascinating so they just kind of stay there yeah um and then i later learned that it's uh that it wouldn't clog up the, the memory there's nothing like yeah uh there's nothing like devastating about it yeah so i decided to use it for this this one level and then uh at, after a little bit you regain control and you can like move around this space and if you keep moving along, you get to like uh, a pseudo Windows error screen. Yes. It looks like a blue. It looks like a classic Windows blue screen. Yeah. But it, it's for, but it's for the game. It says like duck and like yeah. duck has crashed yeah. and yeah. you're going to lose all the memory and it's yeah. like, uh, to reboot, keep keep walking to the right and then, yeah, uh, yeah it, and it's uh, I'm. I'm very happy that I got that into the game. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I I um I, I chuckled to myself quite a bit when uh, my brother was playing and stumbled into that. Um, yeah, uh, check it out, folks. It's uh it's it's called again. It's uh, Duck and in the Land of Flightless Birds. Uh, one more question I, I want to ask you about. Uh, you know, you're a student right now at RIT. Um, do you, how was it working on this while juggling RIT work? And as I know from, uh, my younger brother went there 
and uh, there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a balancing act. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just like the rest of college. It's a time management sort of task. Yeah. I mean, nothing. I haven't found that college itself, like the material they actually give you, is that hard. It's just the what's hard is making the time, making mm-hmm. the effort in order to do everything that you need to do to do the things that you want to do and to yes. continue to be successful. That's 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 the challenge I found in college. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a balancing act. It, it's yeah. it's just a balancing act. Yeah. And. Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it is. When, when do you hope to uh, to have the game done by? Do, do you have a what what goals do you have? Uh, I, so, I guess done have it done by is kind of a so when's it done? Tap of my wrist here, you know. Like, but what what are your goals? I, I don't want to be like that. I want to say what what are, you, what are your goals? Hopeful, hopeful goals. Yeah. So, um, I want to get the game done by December. That okay. is when the game will be done. Now, it won't be released in December. I hope mm-hmm. to release it in March of okay. this of this coming year. So, March 2019. Mark your calendars. All right. Probably going to I'm probably going to release it on the Ides of March. So, March 15th. Great. Heard it here. <laughs> Terrific. Well, where where will it be available? Where can we find it? Uh, you'll be able to find it both on Steam and Itch for Windows systems. Sorry, Mac users. That's fine. I was a uh, I was a Mac user for about ten years for a while, and then it just uh, I uh, the main reason I was hanging on to Macs was for the video editing because it was yep. really good, especially ten years ago. It was incredible, uh, but nowadays it doesn't matter so much. So I'd rather go for the system that offers more compatibility. Um, but, uh, but yeah, where, where can we, where, where can we find you now? Where can we find, do you have a development blog? Do, do you have a Twitter? What, what, oh, uh, pl- oh, please yeah. tell us where we can, uh, all right, I'll plug my Twitter and I'll mm-hmm. plug the game. Uh, mm-hmm. so you can find me on Twitter at when bells toll, mm-hmm. uh, just spelled like the way the Ernest Hemingway novel is when bells toll. And then, uh, you can find my game, or at least a demo of it, at kentr.itch.io slash duckdemo, all lowercase. So uh, those are basically the two places. Um, I don't, really don't tweet about much else other than game stuff, so if you just want to hear about game stuff, welcome to my Twitter. <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> Terrific. All right. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this, Kent. It's good, right. good, good to good to uh, talk to you again, and I wish you the best of right. luck. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. All right. And to round out this podcast is the final interview for for this episode is Peter Lazarski. Peter Lazarski uh, created Halloween Forever which is a fun, uh, a, a very fun platforming game. It's, um, it's only five levels, but they're, they're robust and 
there's a lot of replayability there because there's little secrets here and there and you can collect new characters to play as as you continue to play through the game. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, and he's also working on a new game called Abixis, which uh, currently doesn't have a release date. Uh, you know, I mean, this is something he's been working on in his spare time. But it is a gorgeous looking game. Um, I've got to playtest it a little bit. Uh, it's going to be terrific. And here is Peter Lazarski to tell you all about it. Hey everybody, I'm here with Peter Lazarski of Imaginary Monsters Gaming, uh, or Imaginary Monsters, and uh, I believe you're also a a part of uh, Working Man, is that correct? Yeah, Working Uh, Man and and Bread Machine, sort of like our Mm, in-house indie side of things. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Um, uh, Working Man and Bread Machine, and and I believe you worked with uh, my brother at Working Man a little bit, yeah. Yeah, very very fun. Uh, I hope to get uh, my brother on this podcast at some point to talk about his his game that he's been working on, just you know, by his lonesome, and talk about the influences thereof. Um, but we're here to talk about you and uh, the game that you're currently working on, which is Abixis. Can yep. you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Abixis is a kind of a like a like a, a retro look and feel. Mm-hmm. classic metroidvania that's sort of where we're aiming to go mm-hmm. um you play as a demon who's sort of woken up out of like demon hell prison by some sort of like prayer or call for help by somebody on like the living world and it stirs you up and kind of wakes you up and gets you you know mm-hmm. almost kind of just like caring again out of something after just you know i don't know millennia of inertia and your character who's we've just been calling demon Joe gets this kind of like Gius quest where he's like, I need to get out of hell and get back to like the yeah. land of the living to like save this person. And you come across a lot of friction along the way. And, uh, you know, it's sort of like you're almost disrupting a social order in a sense of, mm. you know, demons are supposed to stay in hell or like the damned stay imprisoned for eternity and whatever. And, uh, it's kind of, it's almost kind of like, you know, but why in a sense? Mm, and mm. you're given this sort of like second chance in this like unlikely fashion, but also by the time, like in the mid or late game, I hope we kind of like start answering or like having some address, like addressing the question of, you know, some of the why and also like, mm. why did this come to you as far as, you know, yeah demons don't usually answer prayers but in this universe like it's happening for some reason and there's mm-hmm. kind of a reason for that now did this come about uh because uh were these questions that popped into your head while playing games like demons crest <laughs> why, why, yeah. you know well i mean demons crest yeah is yes uh, like gargoyles quest demons crest right is yeah because like, that's what comes to mind immediately when you see a screenshot of, of, yeah. of what you're working on it's a big visual and sort of like thematic inspiration for what i want to do with the game yeah. and what we've been working on with the game and um but i th- i think one thing that uh I, so like a like a sort of like a weird route for why i want to kind of do this mm. is um i don't know it's like i have i've i have this like there's just sort of when i kind of you know work with stories or work with content like this i kind of want to approach like abstract fears that sort of mm. like 
dwell within me that are like really hard to kind of shake and this and that. And one of the, one of the, like the big fears or horrors that I have is um, just like the kind of like the abstract concept of like sort of like child exploitation or like child abduction mm, and like mm. that sort of thing. And uh, just, you know, wondering what can really happen in that sort of situation or like what kind of help is available when somebody sort of like vanishes from, mm. you know, like the, their bubble of like safety and care and like family and such. And Abixis is sort of, you know, that's, and that's sort of like, it's almost like a big spoiler, but it's not really a big spoiler, but it mm. sort of is, that's like who you're trying to help is like this person who is, you know, at risk and vulnerable and has like no mm. other recourse, but just like, you know, kind of like calling out to like the emptiness because like they're, yeah. you know, completely cut off from, from anything. And I want to kind of keep, you know, who it is or who they are exactly kind of vague because mm. I don't think it necessarily needs to be about, you know, sort of like a gendered exploitation or this or that. Like it, it could happen to anyone. It can happen to adults even right. and such. But, um, you know, getting into this kind of situation where like what happens to somebody when they have no recourse, but, you know, just kind of like hanging hope on to like, mm hope for hope's sake, I guess. And kind of like following it to like a, like a, like an extreme, like not like I, I say absurd because it's like, you have like a, like a demon trying to get out of hell to save you, save mm. your life. It's, it's extreme and absurd, but it's not like absurd in a comical way. But at the same time, we're going to have, you know, there's going to be like comedy in it too. It's sure. not going to be all like doom and gloom and uh, you know, like serious topics and stuff. Well, well so, I noticed that, I mean, it's, it's interesting then, you know, you're, you're talking about exploring these themes and, the, and these topics, especially of like child exploitation, or and the protagonist at the center of this is a demon in hell, and I, yeah. I wonder if that sort of uh, points to the theme in which victims of these exploitations often see themselves as to blame. Do, do, do you see that as tying into that? As yeah, part of that potentially. Theme? I'm not. I'm like I haven't. I haven't even like thought about like that track too, but. Um... You know, yeah. and part of it is like, what I don't know as far as like what if and and, and hell is sort of like an abstract concept, uh-huh. in sort of like a mixes too. I'm probably like I refer to it as that just because it's relatable in a conversation like this, but I may never actually use that word in mm. like the context of the game. But like you take the sort of you know place of it's like where do you put the bad things that are like so bad that you can't you know leave them amidst other things that aren't bad mm. essentially. And, you know, some of them are, you know, and a lot of this kind of comes from kind of, you know, like a, like a, like a Western religious interpretation mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, demons hell and, hell, and, torment yes. and stuff. Yeah. yeah but yeah. also there's, and so as far as like, you know, you have, you have, you know, like some are maybe are like bad old angels that just got too rotten or some mm. are, you know, like, evil spirits of people that have died and uh but it's but i don't want to really necessarily be limited to just sort of this like judeo-christian thing Mm -hmm. because um there's a lot of really amazing imagery and like themes that come out of sort of like eastern tradition as far as like hell as like a component of reincarnation gets into like some really like kind of like and I've, I've, i've talked to people about this before too where there's some really exciting ways that you know you have you have like a hell that like sort of like a damned soul will go to, but it's temporary because like you're in this sort of like reincarnation cycle. Mm. But they measure time in such a in such a like a 
like a boggling way that it's almost like more mentally terrifying than just saying like infinity or eternity where I'm like, and I remember just like looking at stuff on Wikipedia sometime where depending on, you know, what, what thing you do that's wicked in life and what kind of punishment you're getting, you like remain in some circle of, you know, Buddhist hell or whatever, that is just like a lake of ice and everybody's like teeth are chattering. And meanwhile, you're getting like stabbed with cold forks or something Mm. by ogres or whatever, but Mm. like you stay there for the amount of time that, you know, you have like a barrel of rice or barley and every like thousand years you take out one grain of rice and by the time the barrel would be empty, that's, then you're done. Like, <laughs> congrat- congratulations, you made it. And yeah. to me, that's like more frightening in a sense because like there's yeah. a literal measure of that and it's not it's not forever, but also for like my puny living mortal brain, it's yes. like there's, a, there's an actual number that could go with it, but it's like so incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. that it's like worse in a way <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like, that's just kind of there's a sense that in the judeo-christian form of hell you can resign yourself to your fate yeah. whereas in this one it's like no I, I will not be even then i will not be free from work <laughs> and that's not, and that's like yeah. the a part of it is i want to explore some of that stuff too because you know mm-hmm. you take you take this kind of like eternal punishment eternal torment and mm-hmm. you know everybody says like it's going to be bad forever but like it's but also too you know in like my like dumb mortal brain it's like people get used to things and people get mm-hmm. kind of desensitized to things it's like do they do they make the heat hotter like what do they do yeah and uh you're probably gonna you're gonna like come across some npcs along the way who you know maybe you've kind of like established a routine and such mm-hmm. and um even you know in sort of like the demon's crest or the gargoyle's quest like uh demon realm they have like little cities and towns and things and you think you know is this just kind of like a inversion of mortal living world in some way, or, you know, are people able to kind of in this, in this world of kind of like horrible, like no resort, last resort sort of thing over time. And, you know, you've, you've given them almost like infinite time to sort of dwell in this space and, you know, do things. And it's like, there's probably some sort of like hierarchy, some sort of organization, some sort of structure, even like a social structure where like some, you know, some of these spirits or entities like are afforded more comfort than others. Some are bound to like exploit others Mm. and, and, you know, there's bound to be like some kind of ranks to it. And a lot of that kind of goes into um, sort of, you know, like maybe kind of like the, the Dante's hell, but also kind of what like happens in a lot of uh, like dungeons and dragons, like Mm -hmm. infernal hierarchy and stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's a it's a really fun sort of like mixed bag salad of stuff to kind of pull in from influences, but yeah. I think we'll have it's just kind of like there's so much stuff to play with in that space. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned these themes, and, and these are you know these are dark, very uh, thoughtful themes. And I think uh, I, I was watching a couple clips on YouTube that you had uploaded showing uh, uh, the, the game's progression, and and I was struck by how atmospheric it appears on the outside while also being a little bit colorful as well yeah um usually when uh games try to go for a more atmosphere atmospheric uh feel they tend to be monochromatic but, mm-hmm. but this is not the case here you got i mean the, your, your main guy is a a nice bright blue yeah and purple wings and and i and i really enjoy that i really like that that choice Can yeah you explain like why what what, what were you th- what uh what your thoughts were, what your aesthetic was going into that. Yeah, I guess I don't do I don't do grim dark 
very well. And it's mm. not really kind of, um, you know, the, the goal that I have a, a lot of stuff that I've done has always been sort of, uh, you know, approachable, but you know, spooky and, you know, like designs are a little bit endearing and also, you know, working with other people. Um, my friend Catherine DeFeo has been helping out a lot with the project too. And she has like a very similar kind of, you know, like very appealing designs, but also, you know, really kind of exciting animation and, you know, mm. interesting stuff where it's, it's like cute and charming, but also like a little bit creepy. Mm-hmm. And um, that space, it kind of, and it also too with the color and like some of the vibrancy there, it, mm. It's a, it, it's it's sort of it's sort of like a way to sort of you know, <clears throat> I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't say you know Abixis chapter one here's like a preamble prologue of all this heavy stuff yes. like you'll you'll kind of get to it as you go and right. all, honestly too some of it might even be like sort of skippable, but the visual look and the visual tone and also like having some atmosphere but also having it be a little bit light and vibrant and bright in places it's going to give you maybe like a mental rest. And also, too, you won't always be kind of saturated with, you know, like, like sad, 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 dark, dark, dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, I, that's not, I don't want to, like, beat people over the head with it. Mm-hmm. But if anything, you know, sort of like you're saying, Show have it be sort tell. of like a, have it be, yeah, almost yeah. have it be kind of like, not even necessarily like a puzzle, but <laughs> something that people will kind of assemble over, you know, a couple hours of playtime and think like, oh, shoot, this is where this is going. Oh, my gosh. And, you know maybe have kind of warmed into an idea instead of, you know, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like easier to, you know, settle into like a bath that gets like warmer instead of it being like piping hot, maybe. Right. But yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess as far as just, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do with color and Halloween forever has a lot of this too was, mm-hmm. um, I noticed you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. Just mostly for, uh, you know, like my background is like originally in graphic design and, you know, dealing with a lot of trying of color and vibrancy and sort of just trying to make something that stands out on a screen. Um, there's a little bit of, you know, where do I place sort of my key colors? How do I kind of try and create like a figure ground for something like a character or something like an enemy or a bullet to sort of stand out in the right way so that it's not an obstacle to playing the game. And that's some of the stuff we're still refining right now too, but mm-hmm. um it's like a like a like a multi prong approach for that. Hmm. Uh, what what were some of your um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, Metroidvania? Mm-hmm. Uh, was this something that that you've had a lot of experience in? What what, what was uh, your inspiration for the gameplay for for Abixis? Um, mostly just liking classic Metroidvania stuff, like mm-hmm. Super Metroid, and um, you know, especially Symphony of, Symphony of the Night, and that is you know more than a grander scope than what I'll even try to have us accomplish with a Bixis. But yeah, uh, Halloween forever was a, you know, a simple kind of five world game. And it started out originally as a three world game and kind of mm-hmm. expanded as it went. And, you know, it didn't have any dialogue. It had minimal text on screen and this and that um, almost no story to, to speak of. Mm-hmm. Um, but a Bixis being our second go of putting a game together, I wanted to kind of say, well, what can we, what can we take as far as engine wise and add more to it? And, uh, you know, it's like, we've already done a game with linear level design. Can we do something with, you know, a little bit that's a little less linear, has a little more exploration to do. And, you know, some, if we do some backtracking, have some fun with that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I've played a couple of, sort of contemporary metroidvanias like cave story really stands out 
to me and uh i played a lot of hollow knight last year and you know and hollow knight i liked a lot it was definitely kind of like a love it and hate it sort of thing for Mm. reasons but they they did a really good job i think um you know where what they did and it can't you can't just say you know like a melee metroidvania is like a hard path to take because symphony of the night is a is a melee metroidvania but it just has mm-hmm. i think a lot more like latitude for balance and a lot more you know knobs and dials you can twink as far as yeah stuff you can do to kind of like meter your you know there's like there's like boss fights that you can kind of essentially gimmick your way through because you yeah. have like a, the right equipable item. The, and uh, uh, the Game Boy Castlevanias are like that as well. Like uh, yeah, uh, uh, Aria of Sorrow and all that are very much like yeah. That. I've only played um, was it Circle of the Moon and also uh, yeah, I really yeah. liked Order of Ecclesia just because it sort of yet. oh it's it's super good yeah, yeah. the. One of the, one of the fun things they did about it is it's not one full giant you know you're not just exploring Dracula's castle they have a like a really nice world map that's presented in like a fun way and there's like a town with like townsfolk that give you like small quests and things mm. but uh, you almost have like little little pockets and instances of like Metroidvania chunks and you like unlock different sections of the map and then eventually there's a you know smaller but you know has the feel of the metroidvania dracula's castle kind of thing mm-hmm. and um you know it's it's got like a female protagonist a whole bunch of like fun bells and whistles going off it's like yeah. it's a good it's a really good castlevania game mm-hmm. and just for for changing the format in subtle ways but still doing a lot of the kind of things you would want for you know something from that series so it's just i, I don't know it's it's fun i i think i always I may always want to make 2D games just because it's the stuff that I like to see and it's the stuff that I like to put my hands in and make personally. Mm-hmm. And um, it's nice that there's finally uh, being accepted as its own media, its own um, medium, well, medium, you know. Yeah. That was not the case in the late 90s and it uh, that upset me quite a bit back then. Yeah, it's, it's funny though because yeah. I, th- I think part of it was... Um, you know, in the late nineties, you had a lot of these like 3d home consoles and like PC, mm-hmm. everything was like trying to push like 3d, 3d stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that was also, you know, I, I grew up playing uh game boy and Genesis and super yeah. Nintendo stuff. And then when like N64 and like PS one era began, I kind of fell away from, it was the games exact and stuff. same way. Mm-hmm. And especially cause I remember having friends in uh, junior high school and they got, they all had like N64s and such. And I was watching, I was looking at these games and I was like, these look kind of busted. Like, yeah. I, I, and I know it like people love, I'm glad I'm not love, the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and the thing is though, it's like people love Mario 64 and there's sure. a bunch of really good things and, yeah. you know, and Mario 64 is great. Absolutely. But to go from, you know, for me to be, you know, stepping off of, you know, later later gen later era super nintendo like level of polish and quality and then a lot of these teams were just you know almost literally doing their first 3d game ever yes and you're like oh it's not a graceful transition at all and (laughs) and i just Mm. it it got better of course and also like the hardware got better Mm -hmm. but um you know it's interesting to watching sort of what's happening in kind of like the 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 indie space or sort of like the self-publishing small publishing space as far as you know 
2d was very great and grand for a long time and people have done tons of you know pixel art games or like you know hd 2d games and things mm. and now you know people are starting to do more with 3d but also trying to do it in a like a production friendly way like yes. a budget friendly way because yes. i don't know it's just like the 3d pipeline is great and like if you know it you know it well and that's right. awesome but it, it still has a level of investment to me that makes it unappealing to want to work with on something mm-hmm. that you know i would be investing in like personal time into creating but uh you know i think that's also why you've seen a lot of sort of 3d indie games that have you know the very like flat vector like no texture look and different things people are doing different things to sort of take their skill set but still try and spin it into something that you know they can accomplish being a small team or having you know just two years or whatever and uh you know it's it's interesting to see like what that does and um you know that that like small kind of you know we don't have a lot of resources to do this but we're going to kind of try and innovate our way through this mm-hmm. to create you know a visual quality that we can stand on like that's that's like an exciting space to be in i think people do some of their best work there mhm mhm i noticed uh, for instance my brother working on his uh game that he, that he's been doing uh project lighthouse is what he's currently calling it yeah but uh you could see that even though he's working within 3d it's very much um has its own uh, artistic bent yeah. that he puts on it. Isn't uh, 3D has come such a long way since those late '90s days. Oh and, yeah, uh, it's much more appealing, and uh, art, uh, I, I guess uh, generally artistic than it was in those in those early days. Yeah, and um, I think people have better tools at their disposal yes. too. Oh, 100%. to kind of. Yes. Even just like get started with yeah. that and have it look like a look like a thing is yeah. you know there's a lot more to be able to do with that. And there's a lot more that can go wrong in a 3D space than in a 2D space. Generally speaking, when you have that whole a whole extra vector to screw up in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like you're just kind of you know multiplying you know the possibility of right. Like, what do you, what yeah. do you do and like how do you communicate it? But the thing is, yeah, just just just. Increase, you're just increasing probability by adding more variables. Yeah, it's basically all it is. Definitely. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your previously released game, Halloween Forever? Yeah, uh, which is a game that uh, I downloaded on Steam shortly. Because uh, I, I, I met you, and I believe Catherine was there with you mm-hmm. at the Rock Game Fest this past summer. Yeah. Um, and I intended to bring my recording equipment to record interviews there, but I forgot, so I didn't. And I'm catching up now. But but I, I, got, I got Halloween Forever after yep. that, and uh, I have ha- had a blast with it. Yeah. Um, you know, you say five levels, and that seems short, but there's a lot of replayability in it. You get different characters. Mm-hmm. There's different little paths you can find and take. There's those little runes. And all that kind of stuff, and it's uh, it's it's really a fun game. But 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 can you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the the story of that game? Yeah. So um, Halloween Forever started in 2014 that mm-hmm. summer, and <clears throat> it was that spring that uh, you know my daughter was born, and mm-hmm. I would, I'd been wanting to try and do something with games independently, and I, I already this is this is coming from me working for you know, working man and doing game stuff for my day job and learning a lot of that process, you know, mm-hmm. just from working there. It's a, it's a great, 
it's a great spot to be. Um, but trying to think of, you know, what can I do or what can I produce or what will I, what would I be able to make and, you know, put some of my stuff out there because, you know, I, I just wanted to, you know, take some of my spare time and make my own something. And, uh, I tried to figure out, you know, the, the coding side of things off and mm. on for a couple of years and just nothing ever stuck. And then, mm. you know, having like a, having like a newborn kid around mm-hmm. and like thinking about the stuff that I was like, this was kind of, you know, like a dream of mine. Like, what am I going to do with this? And thinking, you know, well, I don't know. It's, it's only, it's not, it's not going to get any easier to do this later, I would imagine. So if I'm going to, you know, start figuring some of this out, I, I kind of got to do it now and um, or at least try now. And then if it doesn't work out, just stop worrying about it because, mm. you know, this, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to just like kind of open-endedly pine for something and never be able to realize it. Yeah. So I, I kind of give myself like, you know, let's, let's put up or shut up time. And uh, luckily I think I found game maker at that point And I found, mm. you know, some really good, training and documentation that was on YouTube. Um, I give a lot of credit to this guy, Sean Spaulding, who does some really great, you know, edible bite-sized chunks of training of, you know, he'll, a lot, he and a lot of people will do different things like this. Uh, Pixelated Pope is another one that I found later on, which had like, he had some really good uh, resources. And a lot of these people are still very active in the community also. And you know, creating new content and sort of, you know, putting more information out there where they might have like a series on like creating a platformer game. Like here's how you hmm. do collisions for this. Here's how you do ladders. Here's how you do, you know, this kind of thing. And you can kind of, you know, sit down with like the one piece of it, just listen to the person talk and just kind of like copy it verbatim and say like, it works or it doesn't work. What did I do wrong? And you kind of troubleshoot your little sort of like paragraph of code and figure out where to go from there. And, uh, you know, the earliest versions of Halloween Forever are literally built from bits and pieces like that. Hmm. And then doing some of that and, uh, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, like constant, consistent development. I would do it sort of on nights and weekends when I had time and, you know, had like a little bit of stolen time here and there to work on it. After, after a little while I had kind of a, a couple worlds done and I think it was only pumpkin man at that point or something. And, Hmm. um, you know, just I did an initial release of a three-world version of the game on itch.io, I think 2016. Maybe it was two yeah, I think it was 2016. And uh I might be fudging some dates. And then from there, I was sort of thinking, you know, it would be really nice to add more to this game. And I think that one was that one cost three dollars. Hmm. I thought it'd be nice to, you know, add more to this, like, let's flesh it out, make it kind of a more full, a little bit more respectable game. And, you know, maybe then I could like change the price to $5 and people get more content out of it. And also we added the additional characters, um, like a whole mess of, you know, mini bosses, the three worlds that we had at the beginning got larger and they each got like an extra boss added to them and every subsequent subsequent world had two bosses from that point on also. And, uh, and I think we did that until we must've done it until like 2017, like October, 2017, I think. And that's when we did like the steam release. And, uh, you know, and also I had been doing some stuff on Twitch from, from the beginning of that year until then. So that was sort of like, you know, watch, like hang out and let's 
add some more stuff to Halloween Forever and hmm. do some stuff there. And uh, you know, and that and that's been nice. It's been like a really good, just sort of like intro to the world and sort of a nice step into the next game and everything. And uh, and also, was it last year I started working with uh, this guy Wolfgang from this company Poppy Works, and what he does specifically is he ports. Um, game maker games to consoles oh cool and we started having conversation about stuff and it's very easy to work with very you know just great just great support all around and uh Mm -hmm. he's been busy at work we got uh i think last year in the fall it was maybe in like september 2018 or maybe earlier i can't remember but we got uh we got halloween for around ps4 and vita and Very we've got nice. you know other consoles in the works too, and uh, you know and Wolfgang keeps like we we keep in touch, and every couple like weeks or so, he's like, I've got something new in the works, and I'm like, wow, thanks, you know, <laughs> like like I didn't I didn't expect that, but it's like a nice mm-hmm. bonus, a nice surprise, and um, Halloween Forever does seem like a perfect Switch title, just something yeah, you just play in bed till you fall asleep kind of a thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> we're it's it's definitely it's definitely on the list of goals, so yeah. we'll see we'll we're able yeah. to realize it. But um, and also that's that relationship has been great for me personally because uh i've always been the kind of person who i want to work on the content and i want to talk to people about the content you know mm. and that's why twitch is great too because i can sort of do both yeah while that's happening and like you know and it leads to nice things like getting to do this podcast too mm-hmm. but also um you know i will do some sort of like organic marketing social media stuff when i have time or i remember too but uh mm-hmm. I, I don't you know, have time to sort of, you know, like squeeze everything into all the cracks and like try to get like the most out of, you know, something. It's like, I'd rather just kind of like go on to the next thing if I could, because the other thing yeah. is done, it exists. So yeah. having someone help in that regard yes. is really worthwhile, like mm-hmm. to me personally, because, you know, yes, I want, you know, the game to be available on multiple platforms, but I'm not. But also Ibixis, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. if I do that, it means I'm not working on the new thing right. because you know right. I only have so much time to do this stuff. It's like I'm still kind of on like like a very part time when I can schedule for <laughs> for the new stuff. Mm-hmm. So kind of like like yes, yes, please, let's let's work on something together. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, find a solution for this. Yeah. Were you surprised by the uh, by the success of Hall- of Halloween Forever? I, I've seen it because uh, when I looked it up on YouTube, I saw that that the Game Grumps had did it, and I'm not very familiar with them, but I know that they're a big deal. And to see them, you know, play your game on a on a stream was like, wow, yeah, that's, uh, that's the big the, time, baby. No, totally, yeah. And um, yeah. there's the the thing is, it's still you know, and, and success is kind of like a relative thing. Sure, you know, like sure. Nobody's nobody's like retiring off of Halloween Forever, or like yeah. you know. It's 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 done. It's the done. Gig economy. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But, uh, it's, and, and and I'm not, and I'm not complaining either. Yeah. It's done. It's done. You know, I've been I've been very happy with what it's yeah. been able to do, yeah. and that's been you know, it's been it's been a treat. But also, um, the people that find it, I'm just delighted that they like it for the most part. You know, especially like Game Grumps had a good time. Jim Sterling did two features on it. Like he did one awesome. originally. Um, when it did it, when I, when we had it originally on itch.io, because he was doing, uh, he used to do this series. I don't know if he still does called uh, itch.io Tasty, where he would put mm-hmm. just sort of any search term into itch.io and look at what came up as far as like the top ten listed titles. 
and he was kind of mostly kind of going through and like looking for train wrecks and stuff. But he did mm. a Halloween one, and then he's like, "Look at this little like diamond in the rough." And I was like, "Oh, that's so nice." And, <laughs> and everybody, ever people were, and and I and I'm such a I'm such a dumb dumb about this stuff. Like I didn't yeah. I had never seen his stuff before then. And people were like, Jim Sterling reviewed your video. Oh, my God, you got so lucky. And I'm like, who? Why? What? What happened? And they're like, you didn't hate it. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's nice. And uh, and we, I guess uh, I think Wolfgang sent him some PS4 review codes. And he actually did like a like a really substantial like return to Halloween forever. And he was like, I think I remember this game. It's like I'm just like trying to. It was like scratching the tip of his brain. He's like, I, I know I've, I remember seeing this before. I can't remember exactly when. And then like some of his viewers were like, Itch.io Tasty, Halloween Forever, or yeah. Halloween Edition. Um, but the, like, he even like, like he did like a, like a full like chunk of minutes on it. And then him and a friend of his like went out into a park and like filmed this bit where there are all these like pumpkins showing up and they're like running around terrified and everything. And I was just like <laughs> looking at this and thinking, you know, like, this guy really likes this game enough to like do a feature on it like this. Yeah. It's, like, it's like, damn, wow, damn, what that must a, be so rewarding. What a dude, yeah. yeah. What <laughs> a feeling. It's it's, it's nice. I'm, honestly, yeah. it's nice. Like when you're able to get realize some of that, you know, validation just mm-hmm. come from anything that you do, and mm-hmm. just not, and even just you know, and it's not even just just anybody that comes by to you know like. Like the Twitch channel is like a regular and just checks in and you know, these people have become, you know, friends of mine too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to think that I like, I like to hope that, you know, I'm able to help them in some way also. Cause a lot of them are, you know, doing creative something, doing games also. And I try to you know, give them a chance to sort of, you know, show their stuff and you know, invite them onto the discord and say, show me what you're doing. Take a, mm-hmm. take a, like, everybody else take a look at what's what's going on and um help you know if 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 my platform is worth anything help it be some of their platform too and like Mm -hmm. maybe they can get a little bit of boost and uh you know that's 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 kind of like the dream too is you know i want it to be i want i want i want to like be able to help anybody doing this stuff so to to build a community exactly Yeah. yeah that's that and that's i didn't really uh i don't know i think part of it was I didn't really have the words for that until I started doing work on Twitch and seeing, you know, them put the language as far as like, you know, it's very community driven and this and that. And I didn't really start getting that until I started doing it. And then I was like, oh, oh yeah. You know, people are coming in because they want to see how things are going, but also they're coming in just because they want to see how, you know, everything is going, you know, like they just want to say hi and, you know, check in and like, have like kind of a safe space to have like a little chat on a Monday night or a Thursday mm-hmm. night. And, you know, you know, I appreciate that too, because, you know, everybody's got struggles in life and it's nice to be able to go and just say, Hey everybody, like hope everybody's having an okay time and kind of like yeah. un- unload a little bit and, you know, just everybody gets like a bit of their time to sort of talk a little bit. It's nice. Yeah. Well, that I think uh, leads us very uh, nicely into uh into your plugs can you tell us uh where we can find you what where we can find uh because uh, i know you had the youtube uploads under just peter lazarski yeah yeah but also can you tell us about uh your twitch channel um, yeah twitch.tv slash imaginary monsters is probably the like the, the foremost updated thing just because we're up we're we're there a couple times a week doing you know 
sort of in the moment content, just hanging out and such. Mm-hmm. Um, imaginarymonsters.com is a great place to go to find out, you know, we've got sort of like a, like an informal press kit page about Halloween forever, about Abixis. Um, got some old web comics that I used to do up there, like a shop with some merch and things. Um, you know, just like different things people kind of look at, explore. I used, I, I'd like to do, you know, sort of dev blog posts. I haven't done any like formal ones for Abixis or any, like all, any of like the, the blog Halloween forever posts on there are pretty outdated, but mm. we'll probably do some, if I'm going to post any news at all, it's going to be on there. And, uh, you know, Twitter is also pretty good. Peter Lazarski on Twitter, mm-hmm. but you know, imaginarymonsters.com, twitch.tv, imaginary monsters, the two best, two best places. All right. Well, thank you very much, Peter, for joining me on this podcast. This has been a wonderful conversation. Please, everyone, do check out Halloween Forever. I've had a blast with it. Um, it's it's five dollars. It's just it's a it's a great little platformer. Um, and do uh, look forward to Abixis. Uh, these are very promising uh, first looks at, at at that game. So, thank you very much, Peter. Yeah, Nate. Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Peter, and thank you to everyone else who I got to interview. Thank you for agreeing to to be on this podcast. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, So uh, if you're listening for the first time, this podcast is a part of the Geekiverse media family. If you go to thegeekiverse.com, you'll find lots of other geeky stuff, uh, you know, depending on... there's all kinds of stuff, you know, if you're into superheroes, fantasy novels, whatever. We like to have fun. I, I always kind of think of it as just sort of a big ongoing Comic-Con, uh, you know, it, people of all sorts of different uh, passions coming together to, to share what they love. And uh, it's a fun it's a fun little local community. Uh, right now, we've we've we got some uh, some stuff talking about uh, ranking the Parks and Rec Valentine's Day episodes. Ooh, that's very timely. Uh, Ten questions with Last Jedi author Jason Fry. Uh, interview, um, uh, not interviews, um, reviews for Assassin's Creed Three Remastered, and uh, an article celebrating the birthday of John Williams, and all sorts of fun stuff. So, so do check that out. Also, we got lots of other great podcasts. If you go to SoundCloud.com. Under It's a Thing Media, or you go to the Geekiverse page on iTunes, you'll find uh, lots of podcasts, not just The Memory Machine, but also Girls Who Geek, and uh, Geek's Got Game, and there's spoiler casts for reviews of of movies, all sorts of fun stuff. And there is the YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash thegeekiverse, where we do some video stuff there that's that's fun. Um, and the Geekiver- uh, patreon.com slash the Geekiverse if you want to help us keep the lights on. We're a little local thing. Uh, <laughs> this might surprise you, but it doesn't make a lot of money. So, uh, But we love doing it. So if you believe in our passions, please consider throwing a couple shekels our way, perhaps monthly even. Anyways, thanks a bunch for listening, and I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Love you, bye.